Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Before we get to the message, I want to encourage all of you who live locally to go online and sign up for one of our backyard barbecues this summer. Oaks Barbecues are your best opportunity to meet and make new friends at Oaks Church. To see all the available groups and sign up, visit oakschurch.com forward slash groups. Now, let's check out today's message. Pretty good? Excellent, excellent. I'm very excited uh, to share with you today the second part of the message uh, from last week. Uh, the Lord has put me on a little bit of a journey walking through some of uh, this. And the title for last week was How to Overcome Anything. And I explained to you that I had an experience with the Lord, and he shared some things with me. I'm actually, in a little bit, I'm going to read to you from my prayer journal. Um, that's probably, if I could give you the two, the two habits that I have um, that have preserved me and helped me to make it through the times of my life and the struggles and the challenges, the two habits I have is, number one, I, I always get up when I fall down and I go right back into God's presence, even when I feel like he doesn't want to see me. Even when, when I feel like I failed him, and, and I don't know if you can relate to that, standing in church or being in a worship service and wanting to sing but feeling like God doesn't want to hear from me. I can relate to that. I've been in those places. So learning the discipline to even when I don't feel like it, go back into a place of worship, back into a place of prayer, even when I feel like I'm not worthy or, or, or he doesn't want to see me, that discipline has saved me. Because so many times what happens as individuals is we fall down and we're in the mud. And instead of getting up and cleaning ourselves off, we waller. <laughs> and we stay in there. And we stay in there long enough to where we feel like we're too dirty now. And the secret is we just got to get back up. Dust ourselves off and get right back into his presence. The second thing, though, is that I learned this discipline, this habit of journaling. And I, I've got literally dozens of them at this point. I've been journaling since 2001. And it's my prayer journal. It's my life with God. It's my experience, my conversations with God. And I live my life out of that journal. Everything that I do, for the most part, is based on something that I have discussed with God and heard from him. And now I'm stepping out in confidence to do something because I've already been with him and I've gotten his mind on this topic. And so I'm going to share it with you. It's, it's going to be personal. Um, but I know that he gave it to me for you. He was teaching me something last week that I've never learned. Or the week before last that I've never learned. I've never seen or understood at, that, at the level that I want to share it with you. And so we are going to um, text that out to you. I'm going to read it to you in service, but we have a text service that we use, and we're going to send you a text with a link this week. Um, we've got two neat things we're doing with this text uh, service, and if you want, we're, we're a new church. We're, we're a baby church, and we're still collecting people's information and, and finding out ways that we can best serve the different families that are in our church. Um, and so right now we meet in a school on Sunday mornings, and we don't have a place to do any other types of uh, activities, so we have created for the next four weeks. We're going to try something new, and we 
we've created a kind of a, either like a video slash blog slash devotional uh, that we're going to send out to you guys via text for you to link in. And it's the only way you can get it. But we'll be doing that on Wednesday, starting this Wednesday. So they're going to put up on the screen. Oh, there it is. If you want to receive those, if you'd like to receive additional spiritual stuff from Oaks Church, just make sure you opt in uh, to this text service and we'll communicate that uh, to you. But I'm going to pray over this word. I, I, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, hard to explain unless you've experienced it. Um, but there are times as a pastor and as a speaker that I really feel like I'm in a battle for the word that, that God wants to deliver. And, and I felt like that this week. And yesterday in my prayer journal, <laughs> I was praying and the Lord literally said, hey, I'm going to be there. I got this. <laughs> so many times we think it's about us in life, guys. And he's like, guess what, Joel? I'm going to be there. I'm showing up tomorrow, and I got this. Just, just go, just show up and be with me, and we'll make this thing happen together. Amen? Amen. So let me, let me just pray over his word. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would speak today. You speak today. Father, we don't come and gather to hear from a human we come and we gather to worship the creator of the universe and to hear from you. Father, release your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we launched this idea. We've been talking about the empowered life and how the Holy Spirit uh, has sought and has come to empower you, fill you with God's power. That was the promise. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will fill you with power to be my witnesses. Last week we talked about Stephen, who was the first martyr. And so we walked through a couple different thoughts. Uh, one of them was that in Jesus Christ, you were born to win. Even though you may feel like you didn't start off on the right foot, there's a reason that we're all born again. It's so that we can be born again to win in Christ Jesus. Jesus is victorious. He always wins. He never loses. Even if it appears that he has lost in certain situations, he was literally just winning the battle on a greater level. So even in his death, he won because he rose from the dead again. And we have that victorious nature in our lives. We talked about how the first principle to overcome is to apply the principle of rejoicing always. It's the second shortest verse in the Bible. Rejoice always in the midst of trial, in the midst of storm, in the midst of what you're going through. Find something to be grateful for. Find something to rejoice in. And it's a massive secret to get you through. So many times we focus in so much on the problem, it's all we can see. And if we can just change our perspective and see the good in our life, the good that God has given, it can break us out of a mold or out of a place of downcast or despair feelings and emotions, right? The second thing we talked about uh, to overcome was to resist the enemy. We've got to learn how to stand up and to resist the enemy. And so I'm going to dive a little deeper into that today. And I want to just open with this question. Have, have you ever had an enemy? Have you ever had literally like a human being that was like your nemesis, your enemy, right? I, I remember the first, my first enemy 
My wife told me I have to change everybody's names from this point on. I, I've been using real names in my stories, and so uh, it's because I want them to find me on Facebook and have to pay for their crimes. I'm just joking. Uh, no, so I'm going to change the names today. For the first time, I'll be obedient to my wife. Um, well, not the first time ever, but on this topic, along this line. But I'm going to call this guy Stanley. It's not his name. Stanley is what we'll call him today. And if you message me later, I'll tell you his real name. Anyway. Stanley was the meanest kid at Linwood Elementary School, where I went to elementary school in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He was just mean. He was huge. Like, he was like three times bigger than any other kid in class. Uh, he, big old kid, and he was ugly. Just big and ugly and mean, right? Some people are just... And maybe he was mean because he was ugly. I don't know. But he was just mean. And he would pick on us. And there was nothing we could do. We could not stand up against Stanley. And Stanley was so mean that one time we were on the playground at recess and we were playing Foursquare. Do you remember Foursquare? Oh, my God. We had so much fun playing Foursquare. I hear nowadays kids play Nine Square. I don't know. I heard about nine square. I don't know how to play nine square, but we're playing four square, and, and the ball goes up in the air, and I literally jump up to get the ball. Stanley's not even playing. He's not in this four square game. I jump up to get the ball, and as I'm coming down, somehow Stanley has appeared, and he kicks me as hard as he could with these big steel boots as I'm coming down, and literally almost sent me to the hospital. Literally, I mean, he did damage to me that could have been permanent. I was in so much pain, I had to go home from school. Um, and the best thing that happened was my, my parents found out about Stanley. See, I had been trying to deal with this enemy on my own, in my own power, in my own ability. And I hadn't told the people that could actually help me. And in, in trying to do it on my own, I had actually given unintentionally my enemy permission to continue to torment me because I was trying to deal with Stanley on my own. So what happened is when my parents find out, and it took me days to recover, that's how hard this kid kicked me. When my parents found out, they called the school and the school had, was already aware of the situation and Stanley got, because it was Oklahoma and it was back in the days where you could whoop a kid in school. Stanley got the biggest whooping. I think he got 10, 10 swats, man. That's, that's next level. That's almost like Singapore, like caning level, you know, uh, in, in, in elementary school. And you know what? I think I got to tell you, swats were the best thing that ever happened in elementary school, right? Kids actually obeyed their teachers. They actually did what their teachers said. I think I got a few teachers up in here that would uh, agree with that. But my parents stepped in. And Stanley was literally removed from my class. He was forbidden to be near me at all in school. And the Stanley problem went away. My enemy was dealt with by a power that was greater than me. Have you ever had an enemy? What about a frenemy? Have you ever had a frenemy? You know what a frenemy is? It's someone that's supposed to be your friend, but somehow they've got this jealousy or this something inside of them. And sometimes the greatest wounds in our lives can be from someone that we love. Because people are, are vessels that can be used for either good or evil. And the, and the power that they submit themselves to and the power that they obey is the power that they walk in. 
And we can have people in our life that we've loved and we've trusted and we've given ourselves to. And, and, and all of a sudden, this person who was our friend turns into an enemy. So there's a story I want to take you to in, in the book of Acts. I want to take you to the story of Philip. And this is a really interesting story found in Acts chapter 8. I hope you're enjoying walking through the book of Acts this summer. Uh, the Lord has just instructed me to, to, to just continue to take baby steps through the book of Acts because it was the beginning of God's church. It's how he built his church. It was how the church was supposed to act. And so there's so much for us to learn from these passages. Acts chapter 8 verse 4, we see Philip who was one of the waiters that we mentioned last week who was so full of power in the Holy Spirit that he was selected to be kind of the junior level apostle. He was the B team, right? And so he was hired essentially or brought on the team to take care of widows and orphans and to feed the different people and so that the actual apostles could continue teaching and preaching and ministering and doing all those different things. But this B team was unbelievably powerful. Watch Philip. Uh, and, and this is now Paul is in this story of Acts. Uh, Paul has begun to uh, persecute the church and the church has been scattered. As Jennifer mentioned just a few minutes ago, see it, it, was, it would have been really cushy for God's baby church to all stay in Jerusalem and just keep having kumbaya services together and, and loving each other and all of that. But God saw that they needed some chaos and they needed the nest stirred up, right? I've heard that a baby eagle doesn't fly until its mama eagle tears up the nest. And sometimes God has to tear up the nest, for us, to get us out where we'll spread our wings and actually fly and do what he wants us to do. And so the baby church has been stirred up by the persecution of this man named Saul. And, and Saul is literally threatening them and they're scattered. Everyone except for the main apostles. The main apostles were so powerful that nobody would go near them. They stayed in Jerusalem initially. But all of the other believers and the secondary people were all scattered throughout and they went to different nations. And so Philip goes down to Samaria. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying without, with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was a great joy in the city. But there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, Christ, both men and women were baptized, and then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. This is a fantastic story to me. This is the local witch doctor, y'all. Simon the sorcerer was the local witch doctor in Samaria. And everyone would come to him for his power. They called him the great power of God. That was his nickname. 
Because if you understand the Samaritan people, and, and this is an amazing story on a couple of different accounts because this is the first time that the Jewish followers of Jesus actually stepped outside of ministering to only Jews and they crossed over a racial barrier. Philip crossed over a massive racial barrier because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were a half-race, half-Jewish and half-Canaanite. And they not only were a half-breed inside of their actual bloodline in their race, they were a half-breed in their faith. They still claimed to be the children of God and had intermixed some of the different practices of Judaism into the Canaanite religions. And they were basically mixing in uh, witchcraft and sorcery into their Jewish faith. And there's a lot of, that's still around today, that people mix those things in. When I've gone to different parts of the world, there are places that missionaries have gone and taken the truth of Christ and different tribes there said, okay, yeah, we like this and we like that and we'll just take those parts of the Jesus thing and we'll keep doing all of our witchcraft too. It happens all over the world and that's what happened in Samaria and the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. There was a major racial uh, discord there and, and that's why Jesus talked about the Samaritans all the time was to ruffle the feathers of the religious people. So here we have Philip and he's walking in such incredible power that the local witch doctor gets saved. I mean, that's an amazing thing, right? The local witch doctor sees the miracles of Philip. He doesn't just hear the message. He sees the miracles and he puts his faith in Jesus and gets baptized. And now he's following Philip. Now, interestingly enough, Philip calls for backup because the miracles were so great and the crowds were so huge, but he didn't know how to take them to the next level. He was getting them water baptized and in the name of Jesus Christ, but he literally calls for backup and he calls for uh, Peter and James and John to come and to bring and minister to the Samaritans so that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it was that important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life was so important that when Philip reported back, the apostles sent in the top dogs to go make sure that these Samaritans got filled with the Holy Spirit just like they had. And when that happened, it was such a miraculous thing that Simon began to watch people filled with the Holy Spirit because every time they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would begin to prophesy and they would speak in tongues and it was a miraculous thing to see and experience. And so Simon was so blown away that he offers Peter money to buy the power of laying hands on people so they could receive the Holy Spirit. The witch doctor said, I need that trick in my bag. So what we see is someone, imagine this, who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been baptized in water. They're following the teaching of Jesus, but they're still evil. Anybody ever met that person? Anybody ever been that person? Come on, every single one of us on some level have been in a position where, where we're trying to be good, but we still got junk inside of us. Have you ever been your own enemy? Jeez, I have. So now all of a sudden, Peter hears Simon wanting to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money, and he literally says to him, imagine this, he says, May your money perish with you. I mean, this is Peter the Apostle basically cursing Simon to death because he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
See, this is someone that, and listen, why am I reading this story? I'm reading this story to you because I want you to understand that sometimes the enemy that can be used against you the most is someone you expect the least. One of our mentors said to us years ago, and I've never forgotten it, if you can see them, they're not your enemy. Because our enemy is actually not a human. You have a real enemy, but your real enemy is not human. Your real enemy is the devil, Satan, Lucifer, these demon forces that I'll read about in just a moment. There's a great book I read years ago by a guy named Rick Joyner. It was called The Final Quest. Anybody ever read that one? It's a, I, would, I highly recommend it. It's, a, it's, a, it's literally a book that he wrote of a vision that he had. Uh, and, and kind of a caught up like Peter, caught up in the spirit and had a vision and wrote the vision and published it. And in this book called The Final Quest, uh, he, Rick depicts seeing these armies of people that literally had demons riding on top of their heads. And the demons would, would lead these people around and the people would do the demons bidding. And so the people of God were in conflict with other human people, but they weren't actually in conflict with the people. They were in conflict with the spirits that were leading these people. And in his vision, what he saw, the most destructive force that the enemy had ever used was when he would, with his demons, sit upon a religious Christian person and use that Christian person to hurt other Christian people. See, some people don't want anything to do with church because they've been hurt so bad by church. Don't want anything to do with pastors because they've been hurt so bad by pastors. We're all humans. And, and, and we're subject to the powers that we listen to and obey. We have a real enemy and he's not human. I want to read this passage to you in Revelation. This is, the past, this is a fabulous and, and, and fantastic passage that I want to read, read to you about the war that broke out in heaven. This is the passage that Jesus, I'll read in a moment, depicts later where Satan fell from heaven. Romans 12, 7 says this, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, whom deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Satan and his fallen angels are literally on this planet. You have a real enemy. He's not human. He walks on this planet. In fact, he's depicted in scripture, we think of angels as flying. But Satan is depicted in scripture as having to walk now. And this is how he's mentioned by Peter. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, Be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood 
and all the world. Now, there's two things, and many of you have heard this taught before, and this won't be new information, but bear with us because we always have new people that are here. But in this passage, number one, the instruction from Peter is to be sober and vigilant, to be aware, to stay awake, to be cautious because you have a real enemy who, according to Jesus, comes for three reasons and only three reasons, to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's it. Satan is a vicious foe. He's actually very powerful. He's not someone to be trifled with. He's not someone, in fact, uh, Peter uh, in another passage talks about uh, spiritual people that were ignorant and they thought that they could just rail accusations against these spiritual powers and demons and whatever and they had no idea what they were dealing with. And even Michael the archangel didn't rail accusations but said the Lord rebuke you. Even Michael the archangel understood that the only authority he had he received from the Father. You have a real enemy and he's deadly. He's lethal. He's deceptive. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. And if you're not careful, he will trick you up. He goes around like a roaring lion, which means he's not a roaring lion. He's probably more like a little jackal or something. A little hyena, irritating, loud, antagonizing. Oh, no one can trash talk you like the devil. No one can talk mess inside of your head like the devil. It is his greatest weapon. The conversations he tries to entangle you in, inside of your head, if you keep the battle in your head, he will win. You cannot beat the devil in your head. You, you have a weapon that has been given to you. It's called the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema word of God. The, the battle that you must fight is the battle with your own mouth. And when all of a sudden, when you wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, out of your mouth, the enemy cannot defeat you any longer. But if you keep it a mind game, you can't beat him. He's ancient. He's an eternal being. He knows more than you. He's seen it all before, and he knows exactly how to run a game on you. And you've got to put the battle in your mouth. I'll get to this more in just a little bit. But the second thing I want you to see out of this is it says that he's faking like he's a roaring lion. He wants to intimidate you and scare you, but he's looking for whom he May devour. That is a very interesting word to put in that place. Whom he may devour. Have you ever seen a pride of lions coming against? You ever watch this on the Discovery Channel? And they're coming against wildebeest or whatever. And, and, and the wildebeest will fight them off. But, but they're looking for, this is so important for someone today. The lions are looking for someone who's isolated who's weaker, slower, alone. The enemy wants to get you alone. And this is one of the things, guys, so many people, when they're going through hell on earth, they isolate themselves. And that's exactly where the devil wants you. I learned many years ago, I was listening to a great speaker named Jimmy Evans who had gone on a safari. And when he was on a safari, 
they were in a truck, uh, the safari truck, and they literally rode right up into this pride of lions, right up next to them. And the lions were, were sniffing the truck and right there, and there was no windows. And lions, literally, you're inches away. And the guides told them, whatever you do, don't move and don't separate yourself from the truck because they see you as one big animal that's way bigger than them. But if you separate yourself from the truck, if you get out of the truck, they will kill you instantly. And we've all heard of these crazy little tourists that jump out of the truck to get a little closer and they get eaten because they're idiots. You gotta stay united, guys. United, we're powerful. Isolated, we fall. He's looking for whom he may devour. I grew up in children's church. The illustration that they gave us, I'll never forget it, was the devil shows up. He's like this. Hello? Yeah, it's me, the devil. Can I come in? May I devour you? And the picture was, he can only do what he has permission to do. See, Jesus said this. John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He was talking about Satan. This is the last night of Jesus' life before he died for our sins. He says the ruler of this world is coming. Satan has a level of rule in the earth. He has a realm in the earth that Jesus died to take back dominion from him. Jesus was evicting Satan on that day, serving him notice of eviction, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But watch what Jesus says. The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He has nothing on me. He has no place in me is what another version says. He's found no place. He's got no room inside of me. He has no permission inside of me. Is it possible that through habits... Through actions, through attitudes, we give place for the enemy in our lives? Is it possible that sometimes through our own actions, our own attitudes, our own disbehavior or disobedience and misbehavior, I just made up a word. You know, you're really smart when you make up words. Disbehavior. Use that one later on my children. Is it possible that we give place permission to the devil in our lives in the book of ephesians paul wrote and he said don't ever let the sun he said this in your anger don't sin you ever been angry you ever been angry and sinned because you're angry i know i have in your anger don't sin don't let the sun go down on your wrath and watch and don't give the devil a foothold that's what Paul said. Don't give the devil a foothold. Did, did any of you have siblings? Any of you, were any of you the big brother with little sisters? Or, or the little brother with big sisters? Because it's just as powerful and obnoxious position. It's a wonderful thing. I remember my sisters, I would chase them and they would run from me and they would try to slam their door and I would soccer slide and I would stick my foot in and I would allow my foot to get slammed on in the door because it's better than a finger. Knowing that if I could just get my foot in, 
I was in. You understand? If I could just get my foot in, if I could keep that door from closing and locking, all I needed was a foothold. That's all the devil needs in your life too. He just needs to slip one foot in. If he can get that one foot in, he can, he can, man, he can wiggle and wriggle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've done it. And you're like, and you're reaching in the door at him. Ah. It's Big Brother 101. And that's what the enemy's trying to do in your life. Your habits, your words, your attitudes, your own identity of, of who you think you are and what you think limits you. Truth of the matter is that you have authority. Watch Jesus. I told you I was going to read the rest of this to you. Jesus recounts this in Luke chapter 10, 17. He had sent out 70 disciples and given them power to go do miraculous works. And they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Luke 10, 17. He said to them, watch what Jesus says. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is Jesus giving his disciples, is anyone in here a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has given you his authority over the devil. By coming into relationship with him, you have authority in your life over the devil. I'm going to take you back. I've got one more passage for you. I'm going to take you back to Revelations 12, and this is the climax of this message. And it's where I'm going to read to you what the Lord showed me, because I've never seen it like this before. This is how Satan was defeated initially, and this is how you will defeat him ultimately in your life. It says in Revelation 12, 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accursed them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is the verse right after Satan was cast out of heaven. Watch, here's a recipe, here's the formula. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. Oh, Satan's mad and he hates you because he already knows he's defeated. And if he can just trick you into thinking that he's not, he can have permission in your life. But we have a formula in this passage. The way you defeat the enemy is with the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and you love not your own life even to the point of death. I'm going to read my journal entry to you, and I'll come back and point some things out. And don't worry. I, I, what I'd like you to do is actually just, just as I read this to you, just kind of open your heart. Maybe you can close your eyes and visualize the words that I'm reading. And I want you to imagine this. <laughs> as a word directly from your heavenly father, directly to you in your life. This is what he said. The blood of my lamb 
is exceedingly more powerful than you comprehend. It is limitless in power and potency. It is bigger than heaven and forgiveness of sins. The blood of my lamb is to make you like me. My blood, not just covering your sins, but marking you as mine. Your identity is in my blood. You are my bloodline. You are my flesh and blood. My family, my own sons and daughters, you are my blood. Blood is thicker than water, and you are thick with me. Rest in my blood. The lamb was slain to mark you and to make you mine. Now, for your testimony, what will it be? Only what you have seen and experienced? Why so small? It's so much bigger. Why not make my testimony about you your testimony about you? Why not say what I say? Your story must align with my story for your life. I wrote this book. I wrote your life. Expand your testimony and align it with mine. It's not about your past. Your story is about your future. Who do I say you are? What do I say about you? What is my story over your life? Declare that. Project that and let it resonate throughout your universe. I am just that good. And finally, love me more than life itself. Die for me daily. Lose your life for me daily. Love not your own life, but love my life in you. It's better. Focus on my life. Live the life I want to live through you. This is the secret. Trust me. I have you. So go for it and swing hard for me and my glory, for I am with you. How much more will your heavenly Father give you all good things? How much more? Exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could ask, think, or even imagine, according to the power already at work in you. It's more, it's bigger, it's farther. Take off all limitations, higher, deeper, wider. It's always more with me, not less. I am the exceeding one. I will always exceed your expectations. Push the limits of expectation and watch what I can accomplish in you. My love for you knows no bounds. More. It's more. Always and forever. I love you.
Thank you, Father, for your word. God, let that word sink in. Let that word sink in. Father, that your people would have a revelation of your blood. The blood of the Lamb. It's not just for salvation. It creates in us an identity of victory. I'm going to show you something real quick. The name Adam, when God made mankind, the word Adam in the, the Hebrew is Adama. And the word Adam is translated red earth, red clay. It says at the moment of creation that God took and he made clay and he formed that clay into a being and then he breathed his own life the ruach of God the breath of God the Holy Spirit of God he breathed into this being that he had formed out of dirt and inside of the word Adam the word Dom in Hebrew literally means blood the way that God made the clay was that he actually put his own blood into the earth. Red earth was from blood in the earth. He made Adam his own bloodline in his own image. And we are the descendants of that bloodline. And Jesus came, scripture calls him the second Adam to do a supreme work over the work of the first Adam who fell. And the promise in scripture is greater is the obedience and the gift given by the second Adam, Jesus, than the curse given by the first failure, Adam. God has put his own blood in you. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb, you are God's flesh and blood. You've got to stand on that blood identity. Don't shy away from the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is everything. Stand on the blood. Declare God's story over your life. You may have had some failures. Your testimony isn't just about your past. That's what God spoke. It's not just about your past. Your testimony is the story that God speaks about your future. And we've got to speak and declare his story. And then finally, every single day of our lives, we live the life he wants us to live. We live the life he wants to live through us. We love him more than life itself. Jesus said some people have lost their life because they were trying to save their life. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you'll find true life. And there's a life that God wants you to live. This is the secret, guys. How to overcome anything. The greatest enemy of your soul, you overcome him with a revelation of who you are in the blood of Jesus what God says about you and you declare it out of your mouth and every day you love not your own life you love him more than life itself and you obey him you can overcome anything 
We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.